And so I want to draw your attention this morning as we get started into Ezekiel 37, which is a passage that may be familiar to many of you. And uh, just as a bit of background, and I'm not going to give you an exhaustive historical background because it would it would take all of our time, but at the end of the day, Ezekiel 37, we find Ezekiel and roughly 10,000 or so of the best and brightest been brought into captivity into Babylon after hundreds of years of really, in terms of the, the people of God, uh, hundreds of years of apostasy. And because they had forsaken God, they, they found themselves in this captivity situation. And uh, I won't go into all the details of the separation of the two nations and so on and how that all went, but um, it was a bad time. It was a tough time. It was a rough time. It was a dark time. They were, they were in a time and a place of hopelessness. And the last third, roughly, of the book of Ezekiel is, a, is, is an accounting of God through the prophetic word speaking words of hope and restoration to the people in captivity and to the people that had lost everything. And so we find, uh, we find ourselves in Ezekiel 37 in the midst of a series of messages of hope and this morning, even though the, the story seems hopeless at the beginning, there is a prophetic indication here of God raising up and restoring His people. And so I want to pick it up in chapter 37, but to note that the restoration that God brings to us, and the restoration that God brings to you, and the restoration that God brings to me, we live in the good of it, don't we? We heard this morning from Ginny, just an amazing testimony of her living in the good of God's restoration. In her case, a physical healing and no evidence of, of where these pins should have been. It's amazing. We live in the good of that, but let's face it, it's for the glory of God, isn't it? You see, God is more, He's interested in us and He loves us and we live in the I generation that, that if we're not careful, we think that it's for us. But really, Ezekiel thirty six twenty one. you don't have to go there. It says that God has concern for his holy name above all. That's where his concern is. His concern is for his glory. He protects his glory. And he establishes his church in the earth as, as an indicator of him establishing his glory in the earth. And so we pick things up in Ezekiel 37 where the Lord leads... Ezekiel by the Spirit into this plain or into this valley of dry bones. It's full of dry bones. And I'm, I'm not going to read the scripture in its entirety because I'm going to walk us through some things. But I have a graphic that might want it, to, it's, it's actually a, a poignant graphic and hopefully it gets up on the screen. But the Spirit led Ezekiel into this valley and gave him a vision of a valley full of dry bones. I'm not sure what comes to mind for you when you think of this, but I have to think, as the graphic indicates, that it would be a scene of appalling horror. Because as far as the eye could see would be broken bones. My impression, because sometimes, and Barb would probably tell you I'm not as orderly as I might think I am, but 
Sometimes when I have read this passage, I, I, I saw this picture in my mind of the Valley of Dry Bones and everything was nice, neat and order, skeletons. But this was a, a scene of chaos. And for Ezekiel, being a priest of the Lord, for him, just being around a single dead body would be enough to make him ceremonially unclean. But here we find him in a valley full of dry bones that had been there, obviously, for quite some time. We don't know how long. It is a vision. And in verse 2 it says that he was led out among them and there were very many on the surface of the valley. So he's led out amongst these dry bones. And so he's, he's having this challenge of being amongst death. He's, being, he's around death. And then you see a word in, in the ESV that I'm reading from, and I know that you're probably reading NIV, which is, which is fine. But there's a word in the ESV, and it may be used in the NIV, and it says, Behold, they were very dry. And I'm thinking, like, how, how would he know that they're dry? By looking at them. And my thought is, and I'm using my imagination, that in walking through the valley... He couldn't help but step on them and these bones would be crunching under his feet because they're so dry. And that's just another indicator of them being there for such a long period of time. But this vast display of bones, they were deader than dead. It was truly a hopeless situation. A great many dead bodies now just represented by skeletal remains, just bones strewn about in a chaotic fashion. And so you can just imagine him stepping through and the, the bones, like I said, cracking under the soles of his feet. It's an impossible scene of death. The implication, of course, is it's a battlefield. Battles were fought on the plains in those days. Between two mountains, the, the, the plain was, was the place of battle. And so... It would be a vast army that would have been in this, in this valley. And there's no trace of life. And, and these bones have been picked clean by birds and animals. Completely unrecognizable as anything near human whatsoever. And then in verse 3, God poses a question. And he says, Son of man, can these bones live? It's really an absurd question, isn't it? It's a question of absurdity. Can these bones live? And the question this morning, for us, for you as individuals, for us as a church community, and I would include myself in the us, and when we look outside of our community into the world around us in Sheffield and beyond, but particularly in this area, so individually, for me personally, for us as a community and for when we look out across the city, do we see impossibility? Do we see dry bones? Do we see dead bones? Do we see things in our lives that we say, it doesn't look very hopeful? It doesn't seem like there's any sign of life. And if we're honest, if the Holy Spirit would be asking us, can these dry bones live? The answer would be in our flesh to say, I don't think so. 
So just as a prelude to us getting rolling here, I think it's important for us to sometimes we have participation. I want you to just, if you would humor me, just to, I'd like for us in a moment when I tell you to do this, and some of you probably say, you're not the boss of me. I hear that all the time in my job, by the way, as a headmaster. <laughs> Last year I had this a bunny trail. I'm one of those, look at that squirrel guys. But uh, last year, I, I had uh, a young boy who had just come to our school. He was 11 years old, and he had done something uh, actually quite serious, and I had to suspend him from school for five days. And his mother came to pick him up, and I explained to his mom, and she was with me. And we, we serve a very difficult, uh, difficult community. And the boy looked at me with his mom as I indicated to his mother the consequence and what we would do when he came back to restore him into community of the school. And he looked at me and he said, you're not the boss of me. And I said, yeah, I am. (laughs) And his mother says, he really is. (laughs) The sad truth of it is he had no dad. And in that respect, in our schools act, it's really interesting, our schools act says that we as, we as teachers and administrators are to be as fair and judicious parents. That's a quote. And so we are, we are the dads and moms to these kids. And, and the mom said, yeah, no, he is the boss of you. And you're coming home for five days because he is the boss of you. He just kind of, <laughs> off he went. But I want you to ask yourself the question this morning. We sang that first song this morning, Nothing is Impossible. And maybe there are some of you here this morning who say, yeah, but I have some impossibilities. And maybe there is some personal issue that you might be dealing with. It might be a health-related issue. It might be something, a relational issue that you may be having within your family or with someone else. Or maybe something completely outside of this. Maybe it's a legal issue. I don't know. It might be an impossible situation. It might be a personal situation. It might be something within the community here. It might be... You're, you know, you may, maybe say, you know what? No, God, thank you. I don't really, I'm not facing any impossibilities in my life, but I am seeing it impossible to even think that what Gary has just said about going to these other nations within the city, that seems impossible to me. I want you to take a moment and just close your eyes and reflect on that. And I just want to ask you to do that for about 30 seconds. So if you would humor me, I know we got the kids here. That's great. I love having them with us. But just close your eyes and, and say, Reflect on what might be the dry bones. Are there any dry bones that come to mind immediately? These would be impossible situations that basically are dead. And you would love to see life, but you even yourself have a hard time believing there could be. I want this morning as we go through this passage, I want you to be reflecting and I want to trust the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to me, because I include myself in this. I want us to reflect on these dry bone areas, these death areas, and to, and to do what happens. We want to see what happens in Ezekiel 37. We want to see that happening 
in these areas. And just while I ask you to close your eyes, I just feel like there's some of you here that you say, I don't have dry bone areas. I am the dry bone. It's like, I, I, why bother even closing my eyes? Not that I was looking around to check. I, 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 I am that impossible situation. I'm that one. We're going to trust God this morning. And we're expecting for God to speak to us. So God poses this question through the spirit guide that has Ezekiel in this valley. And he says, can these bones live? And Ezekiel, very wisely, puts the ball back in God's court and he says, only you know. It's a pretty good answer. It's like, I can't answer that question with any credibility. But he puts it back, only you know. And so in that area that you've just identified, and some of you may have areas, a good response is, only you know. And so we see the first of a few prophecies that come, prophetic situations that come to light here. So in verse 4 to 6, Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath or spirit to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. And so Ezekiel hears this, this command to obedience to prophesy. Hasn't happened yet. God has given him this command to prophesy. So it's, he's, he's heard from God, but there's a requirement for him to speak out the word that was given to him. It wasn't finished yet. Sometimes we stop short. God might speak to us, but we have to speak into the situation with the faith that God drops in our heart. We have to open our mouth. So thankfully, in verse 7, he says, So... I prophesied as I was commanded. You see, there's an obedience that's required of us in the face of impossibility. When we see an impossible situation, there's 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 a matter of us obeying and believing God, even though the situation may look completely hopeless and completely without any possibility of restoration, God puts in us the only requirement, and that is to say, I'm going to be obedient. And I'm going to take that step. And he says, so in the face of impossibility, he says, I prophesied. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And there's the word again, behold. So he's shocked. But a great rattling takes place. And some commentators suggest that this rattling was because of the volume and the mass of bones that were in this thousands and thousands of soldiers who had lost everything 
All of a sudden, these, spone, these bones start to rattle. And he says, some, one commentator says, it's likened to an earthquake. That, that the sound of everything coming together was like an earthquake. A great noise when these bones came together. Countless bones coming together. Shin bones looking for the thigh bone that was attached to it that could be 20 or 30 meters away. Can you imagine what that would have looked like? You see, these soldiers had fallen in places and over the course of time, because of being ravaged by animals and by birds and probably by the sword, having lost limbs and so on, the bones were scattered. Can you imagine what that scene... It'd be a perfect movie scene, wouldn't it? CGI could really do something with this. But can you imagine the bones all coming together and finding their proper match? These death bones coming together. They came together bone to its bone. And I looked and I was... And behold, again the word behold, Ezekiel shocked and surprised as he prophesies in obedience, there were sinews on them. There's ligaments and tendons and flesh had come on them. And skin had covered them. And so, something has happened. There's a start We can't stop there. Because in the next sentence it says, but there's no breath in them. There's progress, but still we have bones that now have tendons and ligaments and skin covering them. But really we're not that much further ahead. The progression of life it's still midway. We're still not all the way there yet. And sometimes we might see the signs of life in the death of our lives, in those dead bone areas of our lives, whatever they have, you might have identified this morning. I believe God this morning would say to you not to stop halfway. Not to just think that, okay, we've got a halfway point. Everything's good. So these bones, do they hear? But I want to encourage you, if you're in a time of walking through the progression and the process of a life-giving situation and you're seeing incremental increases of life, not to give up. See, God still wants to breathe life into that situation. Thankfully, in verse 9, there's a second command. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, the wind or the spirit, the ruach of God. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. Breathe on these slain that they may live. Lord Jesus, this morning, every situation that was just brought to your attention once again by this lovely community, God, would you breathe on these that they would, that they would live? Would you breathe on these slain that they would live? That's our prayer this morning, isn't it? Jesus, breathe on these slain that they would live. The same word that's used here for the breath is the very same one from the very first sentence of Scripture from the creation of the world in Genesis 1. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Ruach was hovering over the waters. The breath of God, the same breath 
that, that was involved in creation, the same breath that was, was spoken out by the Word of God, as we know who is Jesus, spoke creation into existence. This same breath is the same breath that, that was commanded here in this passage. The coming of the wind or the breath or the Spirit gives life powerfully and alludes to God's creative work. We saw an example, heard an example this morning of God's powerful creative work in Ginny, eh? See, God is up to, God is the only one who can create. He's the only one who can bring death to life. He's the only one that can bring impossibility to not just possibility, but to thriving, thriving life. See, breath is used in this passage ten times at least, depending on the version of scripture you're reading. There's a reliance on the Spirit of God here to bring life. Life comes out of utter darkness. Life comes where you wouldn't expect it. It comes from the grave. It comes from the place of death. It comes from the place of the valley of the dry bones. That's where life comes from. See, we can have the appearance of being alive, but still be completely dead on the inside. We need the breath of life. We need the breath of life. We need the Ruach of God. We need that coming into our life and breathing life and new possibilities into our situations, into our family situations, our relational situations with our friends and our co-workers, our impossible situations with work with regards to our finance. Maybe you're struggling with a financial issue this morning. Maybe that's a dead bone for you. And God is saying, I want you to, to breathe on these slain that they may live. That you can, you, you see, you have a role here. You have a role in this. That we need to be obedient to what God is putting in our heart to, to speak to the Spirit from the cor- four corners of the earth, so to speak, and come and breathe on this. See, first Adam was created out of the dust, and secondly, breath was breathed into him to give him life. Here, God is recreating in much the same way, but restoring man and his people. Humanity being restored. This is a prophetic scripture about what is to come and what has already come. Speaks to the Spirit as being told in the New Testament. Word and Spirit being together. Jesus was about that. We don't have time to go into all that we could with that. But Jesus said, if you ask for the Spirit, am I going to give you a stone? Am I going to give you a scorpion? Am I going to give you that which, if you're asking me sincerely, I mean, I'm, a, you know, I'm, I'm good to you. A good father is going to give good things to his kids. What about me? What am I going to do for you? What am I going to do with these dead and dry bones in your life? If you ask me. So verse 10, I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and they stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. It's amazing. This army stands up. Can you imagine what that would have been like? The sound of the bones and everything coming together was one thing. The sound of life coming into this army was another when all of a sudden you have thousands of soldiers standing next to each other wondering and saying to one another, what has just happened? Can you imagine what that would have been like? I would have to think it would have been pretty rough. Soldiers being soldiers. 
What the has happened to us? What is this? And then trying to find their ranks and trying to find their battalions and trying to find their place. See, they were raised up. So the valley of what was bones is now a valley that has this massive army and they're prepared now to do that which they were intended to do. They were filled with power. There was something that happened to them to bring them to life. And God is saying this morning to us in our situations that He is going to breathe life and is breathing life even today into the valley of dry bones that you have indicated. He wants to fill us with power. He wants to raise us up. You see, this isn't just for us. It's for God's glory. But He raises us up and reestablishes us as an army, as we're going to see in a moment, for something different. There's more to the story. You see, because we're intended for mission. We hear this a lot, don't we? It's not just a, a New Frontiers thing. So, oh, well, here we go again with mission. We're going to, every time someone comes to us, we hear missional, the missional, the missional, the missional. This is not a New Frontiers thing. This is a Jesus thing. This is the Jesus thing. Isaiah 61, we are probably fairly familiar with this. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. Jesus said that. When the Spirit of God comes on us, comes to us, even when we're still in process, even when we're still looking for the completion of life in certain areas of our lives, He's rejuvenating us and giving us life for mission. He appoints us to mission. There's no either or with this. It's word and spirit coming together. Because there's a missional aspect to what Jesus preached and preaches now even today. To bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring liberty to the captives, to free those who are in prison, to comfort those who mourn, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, gladness instead of mourning, and on and on it goes. There's a turnaround that takes place. Because when we're filled with His Spirit, when we see the Spirit coming and restoring our lives, we're able then to take our attention off of ourselves and rightly put it where it needs to go. And that is to these people that need us. So those Romar Slavics down the road, to those Muslims down the road, to those who have no faith in anything whatsoever, to let them know that they're the ones that we're called to. The wind of the Spirit blows where it blows. And He blows us out. There's a turnaround that takes place. And there is, as I said a moment ago, a continuation to this because the army has been has had life breathed into it, but that's not even the end. That's usually where the story ends. In the children's storybooks, the children's Bibles, and even with some of the books that might be written in relation to the dry bones, there's lots of books and commentaries. 
But I, I noticed when I read this, there is another prophecy. The next prophetic indicator in verse 12 picks it up. Therefore prophesy and say to them, So now he's prophesying to the army that's been restored. First it was to to death. Then it was for the spirit to come. And now it's to this restored army. And thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And get this, I will bring you into the land of Israel. And a little bit further on in 14, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. You see, the valley was not their land. The valley was the battlefield. In fact, the valley became the grave. And he says, I'm going to raise you up from your graves and I'm going to send you into the land that I've promised you. You see, there's a, there is mission again. We're filled with the Spirit to leave our grave behind. We're filled with the Spirit to leave that was, that which was in the past in the past and we're, we're given a new land. We're given a new place to go. And of course it's prophetic about today because the Spirit has come. Before Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell on certain people at certain times for certain exploits. Today, the Spirit is amongst us. He's with us. And as I said on Friday night, don't you know that you are temples of a living God? That God's presence resides within you? That you have the presence of God with you? And you've heard Jeremy say it before. I say it all the time. You're glory carriers. We carry his presence wherever we go. Wherever we go, the river goes. Wherever we go, the breath or the ruach of God, the creative power of God goes with us. Do we believe that? Do we believe this morning that those dry bones that you identified, that God wants you to be obedient and ask Him to come and breathe life on these dry bones, that the slain may live, and that you can then move from the the place of the grave into places of mission, into a place of strength, into a place where you're moving in something different completely? So what's the result? We have a renewed and restored people. See, God wants to restore us today. There's been an opening of the grave today, but He wants to bring us back out of those things, back to life. There's life for you this morning. There's life for me this morning. He wants to bring us back as a nation, this nation of the people of God. He wants to bring us back to this clear understanding of what He's called us to do, what He's called us to be. Back in a unified matter. We want to be unified in this. So He's bringing hope to us this morning. There's a living future, and it's for the glory of God. One people under God. I'm going to close really quickly here, but as you even continue to read on, there is a unity that is even spoken about that speaks to the unity found only in Jesus, only found in His church, only found in the Spirit. In verse 21 it says, Behold, I will take the people of Sheffield, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone and gather them from all around and bring them to their own land. What an amazing 
promise. And I will make them, what? One nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. Not in the valley of death, in the mountains. And one king shall be king over them. And they'll no longer be two nations, no longer divided into two kingdoms. Of course, speaking historically to the division of the kingdom. But today, speaking to the division that exists in our world. And they shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols and their detestable things or from, with any of their transgressions. But I will save them from all of the backslidings in which they have sinned and will cleanse them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. You see, what comes first is God's Spirit. He frees us. He cleans us up. He takes us as we are when we're honest and we're vulnerable and transparent and we admit, yeah, these are the dry bones of my life. God, would you come by your Spirit and would you bring them to life that these slain might live and I can stand up and I can walk out of the valley of death and I can move forward into the mission you've called me. What happens when that happens is all the idols of our life become very dim, as the hymn used to say. I wasn't brought up on hymns because I wasn't brought up in the church. But I know this hymn. Turn your eyes on Jesus and look full in His wonderful face and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. You see, when the Spirit comes, we can look to Jesus and we don't have to fight against our idols. Our idols fall away. We say, what do I want to do with those? If I had time, I'd read you another scripture that indicates that very thing, that when, when the Spirit comes, we, 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 I'm not interested in that anymore, so we don't fight against those things that we aren't intended to fight against anyway. Verse 24, it says, My servant David shall be king. And that's a prophetic indicator, of course, of Jesus over them. And they shall have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. You see, because when we're enabled by the Spirit, we do that which the Spirit wants us to do. 